Hello, welcome to Conversations at the Whole Note. It's March the 2nd, 2017, and we're recording as per usual from a busy Whole Note office. So if the phone rings, uh, just concentrate a little bit harder. My, my guest today is someone I've been hoping to have here for a long time. Um, but somehow in 22 years of our doing coverage, we've never actually sat with Russell Braun, who is uh, here in the office with us um, in the middle of a busy day in an ongoing busy life. You just walked over from the uh, U of T Faculty of Music. Welcome. Yes, thank you. Thank you. I'm excited as well. First time in 22 years. Yeah. Um, yeah, I was just over. I'm, I guess I'm finishing up uh, my teaching at University of uh, Toronto for the Opera School mostly this semester. Um, because we start rehearsals for Louis Riel very, very soon. Right. And before that, I've got another concert in England. Um, but um, teaching has been such a blessing for me in the last, uh, well, 10 years, really, that I've been involved mm -hmm. um, at U of T. And uh, there's so many songs that I rediscover, songs or arias that I've, I've never, you know, in preparing a piece of music, sometimes one doesn't have the luxury to... Um, ask the hard questions and mm -hmm. uh, I find uh, it very interesting to have the discussion with the students and of course very often I'm performing the same pieces myself as well. So is the teaching masterclass f format mostly? Um, there are mostly individual coachings mm -hmm. that I uh, do, do. Uh, mostly with the opera school but uh, last semester my wife Carolyn and I co-taught uh, um, art song right. class as well but we open it up as well to um, operatic repertoire because sometimes the master students don't get uh, um, their share of operatic coachings but uh, mm. you know everything everything from baroque music to things written brand new last week from uh, right. a friend or a student composer so there's always sometimes think the opera students don't get enough art song either so they don't learn how to compress things <laughs> sufficiently in there very their true yeah. very true and actually that applies very often to germanic repertoire that mm -hmm. uh, you know very often when you start singing one of the first things that you learn singing is a german song mm. and then you don't touch it again until you think, well, I should be singing German opera. And then the only options you think are Wagner or Strauss. And mm. um, no one on that journey has mentioned other Germanic composers, mm. that, um, of which there are, you know, dozens and dozens yeah. of early Romantic, late Romantic, late Baroque. Um, mm. It's, but I... I, I like to explore all kinds of repertoire, not just Germanic. So you you said you're starting rehearsals for Riel soon, but yes. you're you're leaving town tomorrow, right? Or? Yes, I'm leaving on on Saturday. Ah. Um, I, I both our sons um, are heavily involved in baseball, and um, mm. so I I do have a week long, almost a week long trip to London where I'll be performing a piece by um, Peter Udvash, a Hungarian composer, mm -hmm. written about two years ago. But um, both our sons have uh, little um, stints of baseball spring training in Florida. Uh -huh. 
So I'm actually beginning my trip from Florida, first um, very briefly seeing our son Benjamin, who is studying at a university in the States, playing baseball on a, a mm -hmm. baseball scholarship down there. And then I go to London and then I go back to Florida to watch our younger son with his team, the um, Ontario Royals, oh, yeah. uh, also have spring training down there. What's your London concert? It's an opera, oh, an opera. written, uh, we're performing it in concert, mm -hmm. written as a companion piece to um, Bluebeard's Castle. Okay. Um, Bartok. So this composer, Peter Advers, is Hungarian mm -hmm. and over the years has very often conducted Bluebeard's Castle and he's um, found it not easy to find the ideal companion piece because Bluebeard's mm. Castle is just one act. Yeah, it's usually Erwartung that gets it, done it as is, the companion. It is or sometimes mm. uh, um, Poulenc, uh, um, the, the telephone or, or it's not easy to really find a good piece. So he thought, well, I'll just compose one. Mm. And there is a story by an Italian writer called Barrico. Mm -hmm. And um, with his blessing, he um, devised a libretto, which is very, very true to the, um, it's really a novella, uh, a smaller work. Um, but it's a story about a woman who in the Spanish Civil War, witnesses her entire family be massacred. Mm -hmm. um, and the reason she is able to witness this is because her life is spared by a very young member of this family that comes and massacres her, her parents and brothers and sisters, but discovers her hiding and spares her life. And so her lifelong obsession is to find him again and seek some kind of revenge and the opera is about this culmination of uh, her finally tracing him down and he's actually the last of the surviving brothers who all have uh. Uh, died in a mysterious way um, and when their relationship uh, um, develops as they meet again he's selling lottery tickets hmm. um, she invites him to go to a hotel with him afterwards and um, it's pretty clear that her interest is at that point a transformation from revenge to lovemaking and it's it's a fascinating story wow. um, both characters are quite a bit older. Mine is uh, 70, but now that I'm in my 50s, I can uh -huh. legitimately uh, uh, tackle adult characters finally. So you're going to have uh, you're going to have a 40 year range from that back to Riel at the start <laughs> of the at the Louis Riel. He's he starts out as as a 25 year old. So yes, yeah, he, he's uh, yeah. I think he's 25 at the beginning of yeah. Louis Riel, and then. Later on, um, you know, after he has raised a family in the in the states, and mm. he would probably be fifteen years older, I would yeah, think, something. maybe something like that. Yeah. So I can relate to it uh, more closely. But I've I've uh, really enjoyed the last few years. My uh, my operatic career, anyway, has transformed a little bit from um, playing basically. 
passionate adolescence to mm. um, richly, fully developed adults. Um, mm -hmm. Or adults who are trying to play passionate adolescents, <laughs> like your Don Giovanni a couple of years ago. Yes. It's a very, very complex characterization in, in that one. Yeah, it was. I, I think from a theatrical point of view, that for me was the, the biggest challenge mm. ever. And, and uh, it's also the, the closest that I've ever gotten to wanting t to actually just leave. Really, you know, it was it was a really uh, difficult uh, birth. Not not when I did it in Toronto, but mm -hmm. I also did this production in Madrid. And um, my experience with Don Giovanni beforehand had been one production previously, um, so I didn't have sort of the the luxury of uh, a dozen of Don Giovannis in under my belt to. Mm -hmm. um, to give me confidence, it was a, a real personal struggle with the director. To so was Madrid before Madrid before was before it was about a year before we did it ah, in Toronto. Okay, but as it is, it was with, a very courageous. <laughs> it was a very courageous, very yeah. compelling commitment that you gave to that role. It well, was, thank you. It was um, not easy. What, clearly, what happens um, so often in the theater or in, in art in general? You know, we. We deal with so many personalities and, and fantastic personalities. And um, if we're lucky, really most of the time, as I've been, those directors have a really fully developed vision of what they're trying to express. And um, at some point, it, it's immensely rewarding to subject yourself to their vision mm -hmm. um, and to really put your own, um, well, to, to, to start every production as a blank page, mm -hmm. I think is, is really important. It's sometimes productions get thrown together so quickly that everybody just falls back on what they did the last time mm -hmm. they performed it, whether it was in Tulsa or San Diego or in Berlin. And then you get this strange, you know, the, the director's kind of scratching his head or her head, wondering what to do with all these egos that, you know, well, this worked in, in Berlin and this yeah. has always worked in Vienna when I do it. And then you end up with something that is more or less a, a a hodgepodge <laughs> yeah but um this particular director dimitri um, Cherniakov, mm. was just completely unwavering from his vision huh. and that's you know i i respect him immensely for that some of the ways that he deals with with people and with artists and with um with us you mm. know were harder to respect, mm. but his artistic vision, I came to really uh, admire. Unwavering. Yes. Well, maybe it was lucky that you didn't have 12 or 15 under your belt that you were holding on to in that context. I think maybe that's what, um, you know, I, I've not really performed any role uh, more than I, maybe 10 productions at the most, mm -hmm. you know, the, the most, um, I ever performed, I've ever performed any particular role is around 50 times of 50 performances. And, um, 
I've been really lucky to have uh, directors have an idea what they wanted me to do next and in particular the Canadian Opera Company that's just over the decades now mm -hmm. keeps uh, thinking thinking of new ways they can reinvent me somehow <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm really really grateful for them mm -hmm. I want to talk about uh, about Riel quite a lot. Oh, yes. uh, I want to hear what you have to say about Riel quite a lot. But um, but before that, I, I noticed that uh, maybe maybe I got this wrong. But you just did Elijah in Ottawa, right? Yes. Uh, I had I had a conversation here with Robert Cooper a few months ago, yes. just before you did it again at uh, Niagara, and he mentioned that. That was one of the very first roles that uh, that you got to do while you were still at the opera school. Yes. Well, I, I tackled Elijah, I think possibly even including my operatic repertoire, Elijah is the most dramatic and uh, certainly the largest role in terms of number of arias and duets and recitatives. Mm -hmm. and. It should really not be attempted by someone in their 20s. I think I was 20, 27 or 26 at the time. Uh -huh. um, it's anyway, such a, a risk that uh, Bob Cooper took mm -hmm. to let me sing that role. But I've sung it a lot in the last few years and I'm actually doing it again. And um, I'll have a chance to actually sing, sing it in a synagogue in Montreal with the, um, oh. uh, the Montreal Symphony has been hired by uh, a cantor in Montreal um, to present not all of Elijah, but mm -hmm. uh, certainly, I would say, about three quarters of it. So that I look forward to that. Um, it'll be a great experience. Mm -hmm. So the first time that Rio was done, you you won't remember it well because you were two years old, yes. <laughs> and you were in Cologne at the at the time, were you? Or you were living well, in Germany at the when time? When I was two, I think we had just moved for the first time south of Munich. We we moved oh. a, around a lot. My my father was very restless um, in his career and kept going from a few years being permanently employed at a theater to being freelance and then permanent again, depending on um, how his career was going at the time as well. Um, so I think at that time, I was just, uh, yeah, I was two years old. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I've always felt connected to Riel because I... I knew and met so many singers that were involved in that 67 in that, production. Did and you know Bernard Tourgeon? I, I knew him not extremely well, but he was, you know, he was a huge supporter of the arts in mm. Montreal and in Quebec in general. And over the years when I've sung in Quebec, Bernard has always made a point of coming up and talking to me because, you know, he was a contemporary and, and colleague and friend of my father's as well. Mm. Um, so there's uh, Bernard Turgeon. There's also Roxalana Roslak, yes. who was my first ever voice teacher when I oh. was still in high school. Um, I was 17 years old when I came, when we moved to Canada. Right. And after a year, I decided I wanted to take voice lessons. And my 
father at the time looked at the list and says, well, you know, Roxana Roslak, I remember, was an excellent singer. Mm-hmm. And so she was my teacher for a good two and a half years until I got into the um, University of Toronto. And since she wasn't an official University of Toronto teacher, I had to switch to another teacher at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Mary Morrison plays played Riel's sister in the Sarah, I think the character is, yes, in of the course. first production so, as well. So. Mary Morrison's studio was, and still is, she still teaches at the faculty, which is such a gift. Her studio was right next to my voice teacher's Patricia Kern's studio okay. um, in the basement there. Um, so that's another connection. And there, the other connection is um, someone whom I grew up with as... Um, pretty much realizing it was my my father's best friend was a baritone by the name Cornelis Optoff. And whenever we could, we would come to Canada and stay for weeks on ends with the Optoff family and their their kids. uh, uh, Tamara and Nick and Natalie were like siblings for us at that point. Um, And Cor went on to sing many roles with the COC afterwards as well. And I, I sang with him, but he was... Um, Sir John MacDonald, I think, oh. in that uh, production. So, curiously, there are so many family uh, um, and, you know, important ways that uh, I'm intertwined with this uh, opera, Louis Riel. So how do you how do you start? I mean, you're starting officially rehearsing what the 19th of March, 17th, and then you have yeah. four weeks or mm-hmm. something to opening. Yeah. When, when did you start actually immersing yourself in in the music, and how do you do how do you do that kind of work? Uh, well, I I like to really do 90 percent of the work on my own mm-hmm. with the the opera and um, whether it's Mozart or Debussy or Summers um, or Edwish, mm-hmm. um I love just the interaction between the score and the piano and luckily I can play piano well enough to um, to really establish a relationship with the before score. Before you open your mouth? Yeah, before I open my mouth. Mm. Um, most scores have a, even if it is contemporary music, and um, contemporary music actually has developed in such a way that um, it's actually becoming a lot more lyrical than mm. It used to, and and sometimes works written in the 60s and 70s and sort of late 50s can sound more modern Mm -hmm. than contemporary music and in sounding more modern can almost seem old fashioned, Mm -hmm. curiously. Um, And that's something that I'm, I'm trying to understand in my work with the the Harry Summers score. this particular score is rhythmically very, very challenging. And um, very often, if you're you know, a, a competent enough musician, you can sit down and you can read through a score. And then on second reading, third and fourth reading, you, you begin to master it more and more. Um, the 
Louis Riel score, the, the first step to get back to your question, mm. um, it almost requires a sort of mathematical, analytical approach before you can even open your mouth and um, utter a word because it's notated so extremely precisely mm. that in the end, I'm, you know, whenever a composer notates in a particular way, I ask myself why, um, you know, whether it's um, Bach, which is almost devoid of notation sometimes, mm. or Hugo Wolf, which is extremely specifically notated, or Massenet, a French composer, also very specifically notated in terms of uh, interpretation. Um, but I always ask myself, what is it that this composer compels me to do? Um, so <laughs> with Harry Summers, the end result that I think he wants is to eventually find a natural flow of quasi recitative and speech again. Mm -hmm. And um, it's very, very busily notated, mm -hmm. but it, you can reach a level of saturation um, quite quickly unless you have this goal in mind that basically the mm -hmm. result is a uh, a natural rhythmic flow of speech mm. now it looks on the score like it's a you know a, a septuplet with a triplet that has a dotted mm. eighth and a sixteenth note underneath the triplet in within the septuplet which is actually a five sixteenth bar it's <laughs> very <laughs> you know very um mathematical mm. almost the the first approach but mm. with difficult music the the effort it takes to learn it pays off in the understanding of it. Anything that requires a kind of uh, virtuosity has to be a means to an end of musicality. That, you know. Yeah. Well, in the case the case of something like the summer score, you have to you you have to ask the difference between the score, where the score is actually. An attempt to render digitally a heard music. Yes, and this is full of music that clearly he he heard. He didn't he didn't create the mathematics and then say, "Well, I wonder how this is going to sound." He he clearly has an emotional connection to what he wants to be there. Hopefully, yes. Mm. I I mean any any good music. Um, any brilliant music must have that yeah mm -hmm. and um he certainly invested a lot in in his um understanding of the character of louis riel and mm -hmm. you know being a the dramatic theater person that that he was he exploits this religious obsession and mm -hmm. also this balance between a uh, fervent uh, self-consciousness and, and idea of a calling and this fine balance between that and insanity, you know, mm. it, um, that's what 
my journey or my my responsibility as, as a performer be. is to to figure out mm. what is what you know what what is uh, where is it insanity and where is it maybe prophecy and and um, actual mm. historical uh, um well it's certainly is historically relevant now you know more than ever with mm. the whole reconciliation attempt yeah um so historically it's very very important mm. um when did you let yourself listen uh, I, I assume you've you've looked at the cb at the the, the recording now with turgeon mm. or have you still you saying no not yet how no, do you no i i haven't i've i've listened to one scene uh, but it's it's really such a challenge um because it's the um if your goal is to perform this music perfectly mm. as it is you know notated then you're setting yourself up to fail mm. but when you start listening to another performance especially of a contemporary work then from the beginning then you you think oh well you can you can you can take um license here and you can skip this but all of this is you know part of bernard turgeon's interpretation mm. and uh, um i want to figure out where i can make my own mistakes <laughs> you interesting know? so you so you're not of the generation of well i'll listen to it on youtube because it's a shortcut to nailing it down you you're going through the rigor of actually learning it internalizing it from the page so far so yeah. far yeah there's one excerpt actually there's one which video one? excerpt on youtube which is the big uh, scene where he pushes the the priest away from his altar mm. and um it starts with c'est la chute de rome mm -hmm. this big scene and mm -hmm. um that's the only thing that i've that you've actually seen or, or listened to, yeah. to. and I, I really i'm because it's such a difficult piece and mm. i i want to f work towards that moment uh, every every either song cycle or oratorio or opera that you prepare has a moment where you have a breakthrough and mm. you have finally an kind of an aha moment where there's a turning point anyway and it's and that it's, needs to be your own story it, it has to be in a way mm. um, and whether it comes from the difficulty of the score from the, the you know the virtuosic virtuosic sorry mm. <laughs> challenge also you know it's a it's a challenge to constantly switch back from english to french to english yeah. to french there are fragments of sentences that he'll say in mm -hmm. uh, in english and or he'll you know um uh, mission. I have a miss. I have a mission. Um, it, it just switches it just back, and back and forth, forth. like yeah. a, well, like it, a, a it, very good politician, you mm. know, which uh, he certainly was. He has has that kind of um, self awareness mm. of, am I just a politician with a goal for equality, or am I a prophet? Mm. You know, that, he asks that, himself that, that question a lot. That, that first 
Uh, that's the one I've been listening to over and again. Yeah. Is the Envers David that that w- where the the cadences of the music are, are very cantorial and yes. Old Testament yes. and the, the whole thing. And and in fact, it, that's fascinating in the language how in at different times the underlying. Uh, that's very. That's probably what I would call the most Old Testament moment uh-huh. of the, and then his failure as his first great failure, which is not to stop the execution. If you, the, the eye for yes. an eye, tooth for yes. a tooth moment that where, weighs very heavily, and yes. that then that then is in fact the prefiguring of where it all has to go yeah. after that. But that first, that envers David is just unbelievably compelling in terms of the thing you're talking about of this am i am i the am i the saint paul who you know the the great administrator yes. of my faith or am i the vatic that's why i was yes. asking about elijah yes because oh there's there's an extraordinary surfing the wave of madness yes to purpose. Yes, very interesting. interesting. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's interesting that those those two characters are mm. present in my in my both in your musical life <laughs> right now. Mm-hmm. Have you worked with Peter Hinton before? Who will be directing this? No, I haven't. You haven't no, yeah? I've met him a couple of times, yeah. um, but we've never worked together. Do you have any no. clues as to where he's going with it, or is it all oh, very private I, still for it's you? Still, it's still very. Uh, private we've not really had much of a discussion i remember mm-hmm. him saying once when i met him uh, i'm gonna hang you at the end of each act <laughs> so <laughs> i don't know how literal he he meant that but uh, i'm supposed to go in on the day before we start the uh-huh. sort of meeting and greeting and and production presentation uh-huh. and music rehearsals we'll probably have you know five days of just music rehearsals mm-hmm. uh, maybe maybe that's wishful thinking um but I'm supposed to go in to familiarize myself with a big structure on stage that I will be on, um, either to see whether how I am with the heights. But uh, you know, my, my experience as Billy Budd has sort yeah. of, uh, um, allowed me to to be comfortable oh, with heights. I remember that particular <laughs> machine on the stage. It's, uh, yes. I think that was back at the Sony Center still. Yes, wasn't it was. It? Yeah. So funny though in. Um, in North America and particularly in Canada, we're so well taken care of. You know, when when the director says uh, when the director says, "Okay, um, I want you to just step up on this box or step up on this chair," then there are forces at play immediately that go, "Okay, now we have to make sure this chair <laughs> is safe. It has to be reinforced here and there, and it can't be closer to the edge of the stage." Or, you know, we are so well taken care of. Mm-hmm. I. I went and did a production of Billy Bud in Munich. And first of all, the poor Captain Veer had to carry me on his shoulder at the beginning and the end (laughs) of the stage. And he was this fantastic, burly uh, British singer. And I said, you can't, you can't. And at that point, I was probably weighing 10, 15 pounds less. He said, no, come on, just flop on, flop on. It's fine. Um, (laughs) And, uh, but we were at, 
we were so high up on stage and also the bottom of the stage the the pit was exposed almost the entire time and I had to climb over a railing which was probably three meters above the stage and climb down a vertical ladder um, below the stage into the into the trap and there was absolutely no harness nothing and it was so shocking in a way to and i said to them well isn't isn't there anything for a security you know what what if something happens and he says well there are a couple of mattresses at the bottom of the stairs <laughs> and literally when i climbed down there were there were two sort of like one could have easily been just a bed mattress that was down there but uh, the canadian opera company and luckily you know the north american opera companies really look after you in terms of safety and mm. um so back to real yes. the, the cast that you're singing with you've got some long time uh alison mccarty yes right? you yeah. and alison she will go be back. one of my wives i think <laughs> <laughs> um I saw you as Nottingham when she was playing Sarah in the Devereux a couple, yes. couple of years ago. So, yeah. you, But you and her go back to Alborough Connection. And yes, Alborough Connection and, and UFT as well. And mm -hmm. um, she's also a singer who does, she's so versatile and does, sings Baroque music and um, recitals and mm -hmm. modern music and kind of, really what I enjoy doing I I've never I mean it, it is strange in the last few years I've done so much modern music and it seems that once it is known that that you're willing to put in the hard work to learn a contemporary piece mm -hmm. um, all of a sudden you're a specialist in it somehow which is far from who I think of myself as being um, but Alison is you know she's so versatile and she also brings her husband is a theater director and so she she's just so aware of things that are important uh, on stage and um i've never had a chance to sing with james westman i'm really oh, looking really? forward to that you know wow. we've we've um sung more or less the same repertoire i mean he's he's sung that those wonderful verdi and, and donizetti parts very early in his career and for me they came a bit later mm -hmm. but um for me that's a real thrill to actually have a chance to be on stage mm -hmm. with him and simon osborne, simon have, osborne. have you sung with her or? yeah yeah mm. we have done well we did the falstaff production together in right. toronto but then we've done beethoven ninths and um also for a requiem or something like that you know the mm -hmm. oratorio um we're so lucky in in Canada that there are that singing oratorio is valued so highly, and um, it's it's such a such a gift. That there and are then, the, the uh, choirs that want to do it and that are here to do it. Yeah, it's not a pickup choir kind no, of. No, no, not at all. And and choral singing is just such a big tradition here. And. Mm. Often when, when people ask me, how come there are so many good Canadian singers, I, I think back to the, the choral tradition and that's, you know, that's what not only inspires you and exposes you to great music, but also when you're, you know, I, I, I sang for years in opera in concert and concert mm -hmm. choir with Robert Cooper, whom you mentioned earlier. Mm -hmm. um, it's, it's a great place to develop your voice and to 
experiment in a sense, you know, with things that as a soloist, you can't always feel so free to experiment. But when you've got, you know, four baritones on one side and then and, and three tenors on the other, then there's just a certain... Um, certain liberty actually that you feel in that moment or support I mm -hmm. guess it would be maybe better mm -hmm. um, and then the other singer who I've really sung a lot with is Michael Col Colvin who is oh, also yeah. in this production um, and gosh we've done Cousy and Barber and um, he was also in the Falstaff production and we've done so many messiahs together and uh, he's yeah. he's such a great musician and clever and He'll probably sing us all to the wall, the, the first rehearsal and with his level of preparedness. And, yeah. uh, but it's nice to have that, uh, that pre-existing ensemble instead of having to spend a week carefully peeling the egos, I would think. <laughs> well, egos, egos are always there. Yeah. But, you know, anytime there's a production where there's predominantly Canadians, there's mm -hmm. just a certain sense of... Uh, well, I think pride would would be appropriate, you mm -hmm. know, to say to um, when we did um, um, what was it um, the Prokofiev um, War, and the War and Peace. Peace. That was Johannes Davis's. That was his, first, his debut. That, was his debut, uh, that yeah. opera has something like mm. nineteen mm. principal characters. I remember that. And out of the nineteen. Mm -hmm. 16 of them were Canadian and mm -hmm. I mean we were so I have to say we were so proud that yeah. uh, um, you know we were there and uh, we were singing in Russian and we had prepared it yeah. and we gained the respect of our Russian colleagues of the three yeah. who were in the production with us yeah. um, was, you know I think Canada has really across across the whole country um, there are so many opera companies that are brave in their programming as well. When mm -hmm. I look at Victoria, you know, doing all those Strauss operas and Britain operas, and and then um, in Alberta, Edmonton and Calgary doing um, Canadian operas. You know, every couple of years, there's it seems that there is a Canadian opera that's being done, or even out east in Nova Scotia, um, Canadian operas that are being turned into great pieces of music theater you know it's mm -hmm. it's great to be part of it this is a delight I, I i i wish you well for the rehearsal period i think it's going to be a wonderful adventure i can't wait to hear you in the in the role yeah um, it'll be i still have uh i still have a long way to go and also i i really hope that um i mean i it's it's beyond hope. I expect that maybe some of the reservations I have uh, in terms of the score, which are clearly, I think, only because of my my lacking of uh, having perfected it or having attempted to perfect mm. it, uh, that with the help of Johannes and also with the assistant conductors and director, that all of that will develop into a harmoniously tormented character on stage. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I, I think it's a wonderful role for you. I, well, I, I think I, I didn't um, accept it 
lightly and I really put a lot of thought into whether, you know, this was years ago that um, we were talking about it, whether, you know, because I, I know Riel was a, a younger man and mm. I I do feel the younger roles belong to younger singers. <laughs> um, but when I realized the maturity and the experience in his life that he that is in the opera mm. i i felt you know i felt drawn to it again mm. it's interesting historical operas are of course uh, uh, there's a tradition both with um donizetti and and verdi and um also john adams you know with with nixon and china mm. um it's Im important for me as an artist though to to not get seduced too much by the wealth of historical information yeah. that's available because it's a piece of theater and it's uh, an interpretation that is pre-existing. It's not mm. my interpretation of Louis Riel that, you know, mm. will, I mean, of course, I will be the character, but the, the interpretation of the character is already existing in the notation. Mm. And that is my most important responsibility and not you know to to wow the audience with my historical knowledge or lack thereof of the character mm -hmm. but i i'm hoping i will have a complete knowledge of what harry summers saw in the character mm -hmm. this is wonderful thank you so much okay thank That's... you real pleasure to talk about yeah. these important things and thank you for listening whether you're doing the dishes or riding the subway uh, we'll talk to you again soon bye bye <laughs>